Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one -on -one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. But before we get this show on the road, I want to say a quick thank you to GPS Radar for making this episode possible. GPS Radar is the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. This year marks the 150th anniversary of the stealth wealth luxury brand Moina. And just like the company, which is thought to be one of the oldest heritage French trunk-making houses in the world, the man behind the brand, creative director Ramesh Nahir, is someone who likes to let the quality of his work speak for itself. But don't let Ramesh's soft-spoken, unassuming appearance fool you. He might not be a designer who craves the fashion limelight, but he is a man with a clear vision for Moina, and he has the fashion chops to make that vision a reality. During his career, he has worked with some of the most talented and creative designers living today. Not only did he work with Yoji Yamamoto and Christian Lacroix, he spent 11 years as the senior designer at Hermes, soaking up everything he could from his legendary mentor Martin Margiela and later the incomparable Jean-Paul Gaultier. All of this before he was chosen in 2011 by Bernard Arnault, the chairman and CEO of LVMH, to breathe life back into the Moina brand, which had laid dormant for 35 years. Ramesh has had quite an impressive career, considering that fashion design wasn't a childhood dream, and that he pretty much fell backward into fashion when he applied to study at a new branch that had opened up in India of the FIT New York School back in 1986, as an alternative to joining the army. Even he was surprised when he was accepted, and during his time at the school he learned that he loved how fashion could be used as a form of visual expression of self, and he discovered that he was actually pretty fluent in the language of fashion and luxury. I had the honor and the privilege of speaking with Ramesh inside the Moina flagship store on Rue Saint-Honoré in Paris, a location that is like an oasis of calm at the heart of the bustling city. And just like the company represents, Ramesh is the epitome of refinement and grace. He's all about celebrating the best that life has to offer, be that great food, great conversation, or great design. Life is too short for anything less. Ramesh, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I really appreciate this, and we've never had the opportunity really to sit down and talk before, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for inviting me into your store here. It's just wonderful. I was saying it's an oasis of calm here in the center of Paris. Yeah. But somebody as messy as me, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Um, no, we've, uh, we've had the store since the day we restarted our story, um, a little, actually a year after. Uh, it's been here since... 2011, mm. and we are eight years down the line. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's go back because I don't think a lot of people within the fashion industry know your backstory. Can you talk about um, how you grew up, your first kind of connection to the world of luxury, what brought you to where you are today? Seriously, I was, I was thinking a couple of uh, weeks back writing a book could be quite interesting. Yeah, mm. uh, I am exactly the opposite of I think what a lot of people would expect from fashion people a fashion person. Mm -hmm. um, I spent, I think, most of my growing up days not even knowing what fashion is about. And uh, military background, and this is India in the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. So, a uh, close environment. Yeah. Um, for me, Pierre Cardin was a bottle of perfume. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Until I was 25, so it shows you to what extent we were close. So, yeah, I had, uh, you know, I think the only thing I could do apart from drawing or playing was actually, yeah, drawing was the thing which I was capable of. And mm -hmm. uh, um, there was a point in my life when I wanted, needed to take a decision as to what I wanted to do in my life to see what I could become and uh, drawing showed me the way through. Mm -hmm. uh, I had absolutely no idea what, what design is or what it could lead to. What kind of drawings were you doing as a kid? Was there anything in particular? Were you always drawing handbags? No, that would be no, too no, on the no, nose. No, there, was, <laughs> no, no, there was nothing. It was so far away from handbags. It's basically, uh, we, we were, uh, I wouldn't say underprivileged, but we were, we had limited resources. So to make up for those gaps in our uh, maybe wants, which we really did not have much of, 
um, we used to you know create our own little little brands. So uh, those were the days when we had uh, uh, Bjorn Borg or John McEnroe. So um, I died to have a you know a pair of shoes which said Ellis or uh, um, Nike didn't exist for us those days, but basically a head things and we would draw it on our t-shirts. We would you know, buy white t-shirts which would be available for us in the military canteen mm -hmm. and then we would customize it. So it started with that. The same thing with cricket bats. So we would have these wooden tennis rackets and uh, we would write Donay, Donay, yeah. which is actually, I think, some sad Indian brand, <laughs> which would fall apart after two games. But yeah, that's how we started. And uh, uh, my brother and me, we could draw quite well. He was, in fact, a little better than I was. So, um, we would use us as, that as a way to know be different from the rest of the crowd mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it started with that and then uh, we discovered that there was a whole thing to you know use out there and uh, we would customize clothes and shoes for friends all right so it was a natural progression your friends saw your drawings and they're like this yeah, is amazing yeah. can you make a shirt for me with a exactly. with a with a yeah. logo logo okay. so uh, you know we would have teams with uh, uh, maybe a Simon's logo or a uh, that is so yeah. cool. That is so cool. And so where did it go from, I'm just going to do this for some friends, to I could maybe, you know, study this or make this a, a job? Or how did that... No, it, it, it really didn't even occur to us. We didn't even think about it in that way. Uh, much later on, when I was almost, I think, one foot in, uh, almost joined the army, and um, uh, something inside me, I think, woke up and said, yeah, Maybe you should try something else. So, it, the things fall into place. I guess that's how we things are made. It's like we don't realize it, but um, you know there are little paths laid out in front of you, and maybe you open your eyes a little bit more and you see things. Mm -hmm. So I saw this little path which was in the form of uh, new school, which had just been set up by FIT New York. So we had these newspapers, and the last three pages were ads. Mm -hmm. So third page you have this NIFT FIT New York. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it looked gorgeous. So I applied. I happened to be one of the 13 kids selected. Yeah, and that was a funny incident too. So I have chapters to write. Wow, you definitely have a, a book within you for sure. Big book. Absolutely, yeah, a very big book. Um, so then, uh, so you go to FIT, you go to school there, and then uh, what's the next step? Um, there was a time when I realized that uh, I would not be, you know, I would be stuck in doing what I was doing back in India. So I started looking westward, mm -hmm. and uh, again, there was a whole difficulty of uh, what do I do, how do I get to where I have to get. So, uh, you know, doors wouldn't just open. Yeah, it's not easy to break into the fashion world, especially if you don't have any you know, contacts no or anything. No connections, no yeah. Plus, we come in from a country which is very close. Mm. So I managed to get a scholarship to go to Italy. That was my first stepping stone. That must have been another eye-opening uh, experience. Um, nightmare. Nightmare? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? I, I a good time. I, it's like, uh, I was given the scholarship and uh, didn't speak a word of Italian, landed up in Rome. First day, lost Thomas, my entire, um, you know, wallet with everything in it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, uh, yeah went, went through some interesting good times, but yeah, I guess I lived through it and... Uh, um, the moment I started working there is when I started realizing, yes, I'm not in no way uh, lesser. You know, I went in for a few shows. I was uh, managed to wrangle invites for, uh, I remember, Mila Sean, Prada, mm -hmm. uh, Crizia, Versace, mm -hmm. so these kind of things. And I saw um, that, yes, I had something to say and you know, that drove me to the next step. Mm -hmm. One of the things I found interesting when I was researching you was that you uh, worked at Hermes during the time of both Margiela and Jean Bocotier, so diametrically opposite aesthetics and styles. The Margiela era was for me uh, what defined who I am. I've been a, quite late in my life actually. Uh, you know, normally when you hear young designers, they are already on the beat by, by the time they're 25. Mm. I think 25 is just barely growing a moustache. So. <laughs> I guess, yeah, you know, you have late starters. So um, I had the good fortune of showing as a part of uh, an Indian collective. We showed our collections here in Paris, I think in 96, 95, 96, I'm not sure exactly. And uh, Jean-Louis Dumas of Hermès was there 
at the show. Mm. And normally he never goes for these kind of shows, but he was there. He was sitting next to uh, somebody from the Pooch, uh, I think from Nina Ricci, and uh, somebody from Jampa Gulti. I, I don't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, I would never come out to, you know, give my... You wouldn't take a bow. I, I would never do that. Yeah. It, it used to be either the craftsmen would go forward. Mm -hmm. That was it. So um, I stayed back as usual. Mm -hmm. Somebody came and said after the show, they said, there's a gentleman who'd love to meet you. And I said, no way. Okay. And we went on for a couple of minutes and they insisted that I go and see him. Mm. He gave me his card which said, uh, Jean-Louis Dumas which in French means manager. Yeah. So I thought he was a manager of the boutique. <laughs> That's how. That's how. That's how hooked in you were to the whole yeah. world of fashion that you had no yeah. clue who he I'm was. <laughs> I'd heard about him through friends, but you know, uh, again, like I said, India was um, very, very close, mm -hmm. and we had absolutely no idea. Apart from certain people who would travel regularly, we were not uh, so much with uh, with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had mm -hmm. a bit of New York and London <laughs> fashion knowledge or Italy, but. It stopped there. He loved what I did and we had long discussion. We talked about everything but fashion. And he had given me a small inkling that there's going to be change at Termes. And I loved uh, Martha's work, uh, Reykava Kuba Martha. I, it, it was very strange because my way of thinking was very different from what uh, people would, you know, put India into. So that would be another chapter in my book is when I would love to talk about the fact that, uh, you know, when people see you or you appear from a certain culture, you are put into a little box. And I went through that in Italy, in France, in a lot of places, which was in some kind of a way, I mean, it pushed me harder to maybe prove myself. So mm -hmm. how could you know, somebody from India be running a, a French luxury house? Yeah. Or how is it possible that he's working with Marta Manjula, who's he should be doing embroideries. Yes, is, yes, yes. Pigeonhole exactly you that, into that, yeah. that you know, yeah. box, that generic stereotype. Yeah, stereotype. And yeah. I think it's to continue if I'm not, you know, if I see things around me. But, uh, um, yeah, we hit it off. We talked about fabrics. We talked about philosophy and strange things, hmm. and cultures. And uh, he wanted me to meet Martha. Ended up meeting him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, he made me run around a couple of times, Mr. Manjula. <laughs> Interesting guy. <laughs> so, yeah, he's somebody I would consider my guru, my mentor. Okay. And uh, I think he really shaped who I was and who I am, and, uh, my way of thinking. You know, cleared out all the little cobwebs around me. When you say he was your mentor and your your guru, can you kind of pinpoint some some things that really he clarified for you? What was it that he kind of made crystal clear for you? Yeah, it's it's quite interesting again. Um, I, I grew up with, uh, under a very strict uh, you know, the law was laid down by my father mm. and also everything around us was put clearly written down and you don't cross certain lines, you don't do certain things. Mm. So the first time in my life I actually saw in creation something which was uh, a part which was open in the sense of uh, I would never hear Martha ever telling me uh, don't do this or don't do that. Um, he made me... Um, very aware of this this part of me which is I was good at abstract thinking I had a conceptual uh, way of thinking and I never knew it hmm. I knew I was a minimalist because I used to hate the fact that I had to do embroideries and that brings back my little thing in Italy which um, you know I was working with this young designer who was doing his haute couture show and um, uh, one of the things which he asked me to do was you know, gave, gave me a bunch of uh, beads to, uh, you know, teeth, like stones, to uh, put on a jacket. I thought he was going to ask me to do this little bit, but yeah, he wanted me to do this entire jacket with it. So I sat for three months with holes in my fingers, busy sewing these things. So, you know. And you went, no, I'm a minimalist. <laughs> yeah. and, and not just that, it just makes you, it clarifies your th thought of, uh, you know, that this is not what you were made for. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could do it. I think we can all do what we need, what we need to do. We don't need to do, but just uh, uh, you know, it just makes makes you sure of who you are. And uh, with Martha, it was this, and it was always about. Um, I don't think he's ever told me no. This is not Hermes. It was to always come down to, uh, yeah, look at it again. Do you think it's 
Hermes, don't you think it's Manjula? And automatically you would go back and say, oh, yes, I made a mistake there and uh, yeah, go back. And that can, I can, I think I can write a book on that, just about the fact that I think he's a wonderful human being. Anybody mm. who's worked with him or met him will tell you this. Mm. You don't find those types in fashion, never. No, very hard to do. So then tell me, um, you know, culture shock or stylistic shock to the system from Margiela to, to sure. Gautier. What, what, how, yeah. how did you adjust to that? Uh, it's quite, quite fun, actually, because uh, when I, I went back to school, I you know, went into DFM, and Jean-Paul Assembly, I loved as a um, young designer, too. And he was, you know, I'd make these, um, what do you call it, uh, list of desirable people to work for mm. and I would have Jean-Paul Gaultier there very much there and uh, Yoji and Comte de Garçon Bill Blas and mm-hmm. company but yeah Jean-Paul was there but um, I never ever expected it to happen mm. yeah, he was right in front of me he peeped from the corner blue eyes and uh, impish guy and yeah uh, we really didn't hit it off at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no I, I think he hated me at some point yeah, yeah but um, an amazing teacher again. Uh, from him, I think I just got, you know, it was education coming in huge bites, gigabytes, I would say. Hmm. Um, what kind of education? He was, he's a master of, uh, how do you call it, twisting things. He's a master of, uh, uh, what do you call it, repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, something which I feel every designer should have and which I don't see so much often, you know. Uh, how many designers would be able to play with everything from a trench coat to a pant to a, you know, just about every object in the wardrobe, he knows how to use it, play with it, has references mm-hmm. from crazy references, whether it's movies, it's you know, opera, whatever, mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a time I remember backstage working on the music for a show and uh, he came up to me and he said, can you think, find this music? And uh, I said, I'm not sure. So he hummed it out for me. Yeah. Well, he hummed it out for this me. This was before Shazam, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you think of Shazam at yeah. that point of time. So uh, I was like, yes, I've heard this, I've heard this. Because uh, he knew that I had, I used to have a collection of music, which was quite large. Hmm. And I quickly called up my brother, who's a music guy. And I hummed the same tune back to him. He sends it back to me and we get, we get this little... He said it was incredible because it's something which you, you know, it's not even something which everybody knows. It's one of those That's sad little things on the side and yeah, we used it for the show. That's really interesting. And so you guys not only connected through fashion, you also, to a certain extent, music it sounds music, like. Yeah. yeah, and I think we had, uh, he, he um, we had this thing of, you know, I'm, I used to use, uh, the way I learned French actually is through using, uh, you say, playing with words, mm-hmm. um, punning. Really? And puns? he loves puns. We would have crazy uh, conversations and he would love it. So I think that's a few connections we did make, yeah. But in mm. terms of real work, not at all. Really? Yeah. Okay. He hated my guts, I think. <laughs> and uh, he hated the fact, you know, it was like, uh, as an assistant, you're supposed to bow down and sit there and you know, not move. He would forget my name very often during the week and... I was used to this. So you've had this amazing, rich experience at Hermes. So what brought you here then? How did you... <laughs> um, after, yeah, Hermes was, um, you know, we, were, we had reached a period when Jean-Paul had finished off uh, with his contract. And uh, mm-hmm. I think I was the last one in the studio, was the last one standing. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know whether, I, I don't think they would have fired me, but I think they, would have, they were just waiting for me to go. <laughs> And um, yeah, um, I get this call from uh, LVMH, and they want, you know, as usual, very mysterious. I didn't know what uh, what was in the package, so I, I was like almost at the doors. I was leaving Hermes, and um, I'd made up my mind. I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. I was thinking of restarting my brand, which was carrying the daylights out of me. But I said, yeah, I might as well, why not? And uh, I had some plans. I was thinking of doing sneakers. Can you believe it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I think, you know, I was there uh, 2010. I think I would have been... You would have been right on, yeah, on track for the, the perfect the yeah. return of the sneaker, so, for sure. Uh, I had some friends in Vietnam who, had, uh, who were working on sneakers. I said, maybe I should try my hand at that. Mm. Go back to trying my hand at that. So it was a moment of, um, you know, 
exchange of thoughts in my head. Mm. And um, yeah, went and met up with LVMH um, at uh, 22 Avenue Mountain. And um, when I realized it was for a back company, I was the first thing was panic, total panic. Why? Yeah, I'm a fashion designer. At the end of it, I'm a clothes person. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done bags. I've done a lot of bags for MS, mm-hmm. but it was never under. Um, you know, I had this team working with me in the mm-hmm. sense. Uh, If I would do some stupidity, you would have some craftsman at the mess shouting you down, saying, "What the hell are you up to?" Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, you had somebody who would that kind of frame yeah, you in yeah, and kind of yeah, pull you back in yeah. if you got a little crazy. And not just pull you back in; they slap you across your face. Mess <laughs> is mess, and they will not stand for any kind of uh, you know. You do you don't you, you don't mess around mess with their mess. No, no. no, you don't. I've done some strange stuff for mess, and yeah, I've had some good experiences there since. Yeah. I think they would laugh about it. So setting up something was really, you know, uh, I should have been worried, but I didn't think I was. So you were when they said we're relaunching this brand. It's got a, an amazing heritage, a, an amazing woman who founded the company. It's, you know, you were not terrified about. No, it, it, the thing was, uh, I didn't even know that there was this whole thing behind it. I mean, we discovered it along the way. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we just had this little thing was uh, just about what do you call, you know, that they want to relaunch a brand, mm-hmm. and um, this is the few things which could go with it. So, what is your take on it? That was what was in my. Mm-hmm. So I understand this correctly. They, you see, an image. They say we want to start a new. Bag company, luxury bag company. These are a couple of different things we're looking at. You freak out about the idea that it's bags and not clothing, but you don't freak out about the idea of having to start a whole. No, no, you know. In fact, uh, again, this was something which uh, destiny, as we call it, maybe. Yeah. Um, it was something which was in my mind at some point because um, you know, after, normally after MS, what. What yeah, next? where can you go from Hermes? It's like you've reached the top. This is it. I yeah. didn't know what to do. I worked with the best designers I ever wanted to. Uh, I was really, I was. Uh, the only thing I could think of was opening a coffee shop or yeah. starting your sneaker yeah, line. Sneaker line, yeah. or some strange thing which was completely away from luxury and uh, stuff. And um, this thing was, um, I yeah, I remember one bucket list was also. Uh, I'd written talked about the fact that I'd like to restart the brand, mm-hmm. and um, again, this was in two thousand seven, eight, when uh, you know I would see um, these brands while visiting the Puse, the what do you call it, the flea markets. Mm-hmm. So I'd see some brands, and I would think, oh, maybe it could be so wonderful to rethink of this. I, I remember walking on the street near Van Twenty Two Monte. Yeah. And you walk over this little thing which has fuchsias on the ground. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I just think, oh, what a pity because this brand was so amazing. There was something else. I forget it. Angela Tarnazzi. Mm-hmm. All these brands which were so amazing. And what happened to them? So I just keep thinking, oh, maybe it could be a good idea. I, mean, I could think of think something. Boom! It falls into my lap. Mm-hmm. Talk um, about yeah. destiny. So then you go, okay, sign me up. Or did you hesitate about it, or was it immediately? I I, I signed up for it, and uh, I remember coming home and telling. Uh, saying that yeah, listen, I've signed up to um, to doing a bag line, big time panic. What should I do? Should I, you know, do I just crawl down and sit quietly, or should I just take it up? And I said, okay, let's jump into the water and see what happens. Mm. So I was, yeah, I was quite confident because um, I think we were also at that point of time when there was a bit of a saturation in brands. Um, I knew that there was a new story to talk about. That was also the beginning of. You know, people taking heritage as the key word, mm-hmm. um, but again, I did not want heritage to be just a word. It mm-hmm. had to be a product too. Mm-hmm. So I, it fitted in well, and um, that's when we started. Also, discovered we discovered this polymana. We discovered the story, a little bit of the story, mm-hmm. and um, I love to dig anyway, and that comes from Martha. Mm. Digging yeah, research. Digging, yeah. Mm. So yeah, uh, again, Martha played into. Yeah. Okay, so I have to ask this. I guess now, did you ever have him come in and you guys check it out? Did he ever give you any kind of feedback or anything since? Yeah. yeah. Uh, since you've come here. No, it is interesting because he came in. Uh, apparently, he came in to drop an invitation for me for the 
Oh, for the exhibition. exhibition. Yeah. And we, we were supposed to meet up and uh, we, we do keep in touch. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'd sent him a few pieces of what I'd done. He'd send me a very pretty letter with this amazing use of words. Mm. And, uh, you know, I know um, he's not somebody who just say thank you with some floral words. It's mm-hmm. like uh, he really appreciated it. Mm. So... So you've got this huge tasks laid out in front of you. We'll come like on a, a silver platter almost to, to do this. So this is a crazy opportunity, right? So for you, what was the goal? So, I mean, I'm sure you had a brief from the company, but what did you want to get across with this with this yeah, house? I, I really didn't have a brief from the company. Oh, really? Okay. No, no. So it was really it carte was, blanche for you. Uh, carte blanche in that sense. I think, you know, if you, if you look at that period, period 2010, um, and we made also, they had never... Um, maybe they have, but not in my clear memory, um, started anything from zero. I mm-hmm. don't think so. Mm-hmm. It was always brands which were existing, which were you know, put back onto the rails. Yes. This was the first time... A startup. Something, a startup. Yeah. And a very startup in a big way. Yes. Uh, we also, we are not part of the group. We are part of uh, Mr. Arno's private uh, little you know, thing on the side. Okay. So we have this burden of having, uh, you know, in some ways it's fantastic for us to be part of the group, but in some ways it's also difficult in the sense, you know, people expect a lot from you. Mm-hmm. They expect you to be flamboyant, to be able to pay millions and mm-hmm. uh, actresses and things and endorsements, mm-hmm. which is not the case. And uh, we've kept it, you know, held back and... Mm-hmm. Uh, just done things organically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's there's never been a golden platter, though. No. Okay. No silver platter, no... The no golden platter, platter, no, no. It's been a leather platter. <laughs> that's so, so what... Then t- talk to me about the codes then you wanted to create for the house over these, these last eight years. What do you want to express? What do you want people to understand when they come into your store or see the, the bags that you've designed? I, I think first and foremost was... Um, I, what I, I remember also when I... When I started trying to find out about the brand, trying to, uh, you know, went down to uh, some of the old bibliotheques and the libraries and places to try and get as much information as possible, um, was I started writing down notes, writing down words, which is how I work. I'm almost dyslexic. Mm, me too. Yeah. And I have extreme difficulty in reading long stuff or writing, so words come handy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started writing words. I started seeing where we could be because... Again, that was a point of time when we had a lot of logos, a lot of uh, scumbag, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, luxury as we see it was somewhere in between. There was you know, there were too many players trying to be um, taken the luxury mantle, mm-hmm. but not actually real luxury. Yeah, it, the word luxury had been bastardized yeah, to such a little point. Yeah, it's still. Now gone, it's, I think it's been dragged on the floor. So. Yes. So I, I wanted to bring in a few, um, I would say, uh, some you know, truth or maybe some honesty to what we talk about. So first and foremost for me was the product. Mm. And um, I would always say that uh, you know, the heritage, the name, it's there, but it's, it's your past. It's your un, you know, things which you really don't see. It's under the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you really see is what you've made of it. So heritage doesn't make sense unless you've done something with it. It's like a name mm-hmm. where you can inherit your title. But if you don't do something with it, you could be anybody. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've tried to do. And um, I think first and foremost, what I did was again, um, uh, dug back into you know what I was really good at was uh, understanding the touch of materials, the cup, the feel. So there was a whole part which came really influenced by uh, clothing. Mm. So it was not just about making a, a bag, it was more about making a little house. And again, that's something which I identified really with. This, a bag for me was never just an object, it was like a small mini home mm. for a person. So. Yeah, because I've heard you say it's more about um, the form than the function. Is that is that true? Uh, quite a bit too. The function is important. See, the thing is, it's like, you know, as we evolve, um, the function of what we call a bag from the past to what we have at the present now keeps changing. You know? uh, I remember there was a time when they would keep ha- uh, hankering after me and asking me, your bags are sometimes too small, the telephone doesn't fit and the telephone keeps growing. 
It keeps shrinking, it keeps doing all kinds of things, and your bag has to keep up with it. Yeah. As you keep trying to tell them, anyway, you have your telephone in your hand most of the time, what the hell are you, you know, yeah. interested in um, making your bag go in? Just have your necessities. Have you know? It's like when you build a house, your house is built according to your necessities. Mm -hmm. You don't build a house just because you know you want to slant um, at this 50 degree angle or something like that. So it's, it's basically how you want to live, how you want to be so each person's back goes on a certain angle okay 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 what um can you tell me about i mean you said earlier you know you you could write a book and that you have so many great and interesting stories to tell can you talk about some of so some of those interesting stories from your time here because i can yeah, only I, imagine I, you've I, had some great ones i could get arrested for it too <laughs> I'm not going to ask for some of the things that you built that you can get arrested no. for, but... <laughs> no, no, I've done crazy stuff. I've, uh, yeah, I've done real crazy stuff. I've rolled a bobbin of wire down a hill, almost crushing houses. I've yeah, yeah, sunk a boat. <laughs> no, I've done crazy stuff. I've really done crazy stuff. And there's, yeah, there's a small part of it. Why do you like to do crazy things? Where does this... And it sounds like this hasn't stopped with your youth. No, it, it continues... It stopped. No, it hasn't stopped. Yeah, I have, I think, like, um, my mother used to tell me, uh, your guardian angels are all, are all dead. So you have nine lives have run out. It's all gone. It's finished. <laughs> yeah. I'm running on the last few <laughs> things. Yeah, I've, I've set fire to planes. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, this is longer than one conversation, yeah, yeah, I think. Like, we have, I, I met up with a friend of mine. We were, you know, we were in school together in uh, this place in India. <laughs> and yeah, we were living in an Air Force camp. And we set fire to a plane. <laughs> Just for shits no, and we, giggles. No, we, we, didn't, we didn't know what okay. we were doing. Yeah. We, were, um, we were playing around and suddenly we saw things happening and we ran away. Oh my God. So crazy things like this. I, I don't think you'll have many designers who've done that. No. Yeah. No, no, no. I really don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Had somebody fire at my butt. And... What? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. My brother actually. Yeah. And your brother, he's a musician, you said? He is a producer. A producer. He's a music producer. Okay. Okay. Um, so let's talk about crazy things you've done here at uh, at the house. Have you had any crazy, you know, personal orders or or, or interesting challenges that come to mind? We, we do. Um, we what do you call? We soften out some of the crazy orders. We do have uh, eccentric stuff. We've had a guy who wanted to have a um, suitcase made for stones and. Uh, I was a bit worried about what kind of stones he wants to take around. And there was this, um, you know, I used to make these um, the curved suitcases mm -hmm. with a um, bottom with a curve. And we used to have a false bottom. Mm. So, yeah, there were some guys who were really interested in the false bottom. False bottom. bottom and you're like, hmm. Yes, eh? yeah. Hmm. That makes you go, hmm. Okay. Nice. And then, but then I think that, would you say that one of the signatures since you've come in here is kind of this, um, what, it's the term in French. It's the... It's the kind of the weaving of together of different pieces of colors and leathers, and it's a, uh, it, it's like in like in woodwork. I'm thinking of oh, the, the word marquetry. Like marquetry, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's the I would yeah. say that marquetry is very much yeah. a. It's it's a huge part. It's like something you know. Uh, what again? What I try and do is um, I bring bring in a lot of things which I've uh, seen in the past, maybe in other métiers. And thank you, Jean-Paul Gaultier. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Yeah. My marquetry was something which I'd seen in cabinetry. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, why not try it in leather? So experimented till we almost perfected it. Mm -hmm. And now we do quite a decent job with marquetry. Mm -hmm. So last uh, season was all about metalworking because uh, Paris again, France, we had this huge, um, you know, uh, generous uh, possibility of getting things done. In, or February. Mm. So you would have all the fantastic metalworking which again has disappeared. Mm -hmm. So I try and bring back some little small element every time. So initially it was the leather, then we went into the making, then marquetry, now we're starting to work on the metalwork. And mm -hmm. things which you really don't, you ignore in a bag. Mm -hmm. As a luxury consumer, not that I'm one, but luxury consumers out there, what would you say draws them to your to this house compared to all of the other options they have out there in the world? What is it about this maison? It intrigued me too in the beginning, but you know, it's, it's always a, it's a cycle because um, 
you see this with just about every new brand. Um, you have the first comers who come in to be different from everybody else. Yeah? They go back with the bragging rights of knowing this new brand. Yep. And um, a lot of what happens with a lot of brands is about after about five years' time, you'll see the whole thing collapsing because the first ones have come in and gone, the second ones have tried their fingers at it never worked out for them. Mm -hmm. But I think what we've succeeded and what we try and do a lot of, uh, it's not just about one story, it's about continuing the stories with different uh, products. Um, I, I was just one day going through our repertoire of bags. We have a huge number of bags. Mm. In fact, uh, half of them we never even managed to produce. So I guess it's a lot to do with the fact that we keep bringing in new things and we have a niche which is different. Mm -hmm. It's not just about being well made. It's about uh, a decent design. It's about very well good finishes. Mm -hmm. uh, you have leathers and just about every colors and hues. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think there's just about everything for everyone. Yes. I saw scarves downstairs. You do come from a world of ready to wear. I guess the question it I have to ask you the question is like is that ever a, a fantasy or a dream or a vision of of going back in and touching on ready-to-wear and... In fact, I was just giving a lesson downstairs just 10 minutes before you walked in. Uh, on a I lesson was, on what? Yeah, um, you know, uh, we have a Muslim this one, mm -hmm. silk muslin. Mm -hmm. I've used scarves, I've made scarves in muslin, silk muslin. And mm -hmm. uh, they have seen, heard of it, but I don't think they've seen the real thing. So it was quite interesting to the, the, the staff, yeah. mm -hmm. and I was just giving them a bit of knowledge about it. It's like oh. it's It's not just one color. It's not nothing. All of a sudden, they discovered a new thing. Yeah. That's cool. So how long how long have the scarfs been here? Scarfs, uh, I think they came in the very first year because initially it was. Uh, uh, for me, scarfs were a bit like you know, um, uh, canvas drawing board kind of a thing to. Mm -hmm bring in some extra something into it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's not an easy market because, uh, I, like, we're seeing what's going on. Um, you know, when I came into Paris, I remember everybody said their hats. Yeah. Nobody does anymore. Yeah. Gloves have disappeared. Mm. And, uh, scarves are on the fringe. Of course, people now use it to wrap their handles with bags. Yeah. Which I find, okay, why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, animates. And before you had furry objects. So... It's, it was something which I was I like to do, but I'm not actually a very print person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, and you know, I I think people would not not buy anything with just a dot on it or a line on it. So. You never know. Yeah. But I mean, are you are you thinking about at I, all I expanding? Do. I do, but I do, but uh, I think clothes should be it should be the last thing. Okay. Yeah. Because I think there's plenty of. Uh, so shoes first is what you're telling me. Shoes again, it's it's a uh, it's not an easy market. Shoes are something again. It's something which, you know, um, we've forgotten about Monsieur Blanick and Monsieur so and so. It's it's like a cycle which goes really fast, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a painful market. So uh, good luck to the ones who are really into the shoes. I mean, unless you're a certain size, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, the, yeah there are other areas which are interesting and. Uh, what are what areas interest you then? I'm, I'm really seriously thinking of perfumes and mm. uh, body products for some time. I don't know. It's been going on through my mind for quite a while. It's like it, you know, I look at natural connections with what um, could be with bags. Mm -hmm. you know, what's inside a bag? It's ninety nine percent of the time it's lipstick or a cream or a, mm -hmm. uh, you know, something like that. Much yeah. more than having a shoe inside, <laughs> so, or a jacket inside. So. I look at it in that way and then again when you go back to the past, um, the bags we have around us were meant to hold uh, the daily toiletries. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that makes sense. That so makes sense. Hmm. That could be a possibility and I'd, I'd love to do something like that, which is totally something which I'm not, you know, it's a challenge for me because clothes, I know it's not, it never going to be a problem, mm -hmm. it's not at all. But it sounds like you're not afraid of challenges in the sense... Not at all, no. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where do you I said when I've lost all my angels up there I didn't think there's anything to worry about <laughs> alright so let me ask you now then uh, the five generic fashion questions that I asked everybody 
so actually let me ask you one before that can you talk a little bit about your well two questions can you talk a little bit about your um design process you mentioned earlier uh that words you write words out that kind of come to mind but how do you what is your creative process like i talked to some designers they like to be in a quiet room or get up really early or have a lot of music i keep getting up early i sleep i'm like a night owl so um yeah ideas come in the shower unfortunately that's how it works yeah seriously it's like it always I, lots of people get inspired in the bathroom. Let me tell you. It's very true. It really happens, yeah. And it's like the craziest of places. I have thoughts and, you know, I walk around all the time with pieces of paper with me because that's only when I discovered now I could uh, use my telephone to speak into, but then it really doesn't make sense when I play it back again. <laughs> so I've stopped that. Um, I have to draw things out. Mm-hmm. And um, I have abstract. So normally... You know, I, I remember this as uh, after Jean-Paul had left, uh, we had a new designer coming and um, I don't know what I was doing there, you know, for a couple of months till he cooked himself and mm-hmm. uh, I walked into the studio and I see this whole wall plastered with, um, you know, magazine tearouts and I threw a fit, so this, what do you call, uh, what, do, what do they call it, they have a word for it. Mood board? Mood board. Yeah. It was something which I could never understand. No, the mood board is inside your head. It's not there. It's not for everybody to see. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, mood board is not something which everybody puts their little sauce into. No, mm-hmm. no. it's it's like a chef's uh, you know, recipe. Recipe. Mm-hmm. You have your recipe. You have it in your head. You know, and then it needs a bit of salt. Or it needs a bit of time. You mm-hmm. add things to it. Mm-hmm. It's not about collecting images and you know uh, rehashing it. I think I think that's where. Uh, I would see that designers started failing us because you know, the original thought is gone because the thought which is the most powerful of, you know, the guy who invented the wheel, I mean, he did not have a mood board in front of him. Yeah, he didn't have Google, re- Google you know, to yeah. go and search all the images. Yeah, images yeah. and no Pinterest and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, in fact, disturbs me. I have Pinterest and I have, you know, I, I start, this freaks me out because then thought disappears. Mm-hmm. The moment I have these 20 things in front of me, it's gone. Mm-hmm. I don't see the, the picture which I want to project. Through, you can't get through that noise back no. to your own thoughts. Yeah. I can understand so that. So it starts normally with one small little thought. It's A lot of times it's a word, um, like this little bag, the easiest one which I can give you, um, as an, I tell you as an example, with the quattro, the tote which we have. So um, I was thinking of, I don't know why, was, uh, I was thinking of a tote bag and I wanted a handle for it. So um, the paper clip, which I was trying to fit onto, uh, the, you know, get the handle to fit onto, I saw that and that happened to be the handle. Huh. So the handle came from a paper clip. And how do you explain this to people? Yeah. Saying that you know, this is how it was. The curved bottom was, uh, you know, it's my study desk, which has got a curved draw. Mm-hmm. And it corresponds exactly to our uh, vintage trunks. There's always connections, and I think that's how it works. Hmm. Um, yeah, you're walking on the street. I remember some years back, there was a lady in front of me. She was carrying a bag in a very particular way, which is not... You know, maybe she was carrying it in the right way, but I saw it in another way. And this is what comes which when you work with Martha. You know, uh, we would collect uh, all kinds of little pieces of paper, and he would draw on top of it. So... We would have things like the surjup, which was a skirt worn on top of trousers, and as a skirt on its own, so multi-purpose usage. Mm-hmm. So there was always this way of uh, abstracting things, mm. and yeah, my thought process is pure abstraction. I love it. I love it. Um, well, before we started recording, you were also talking about like the new generation coming up, and we've kind of just touched on this now. I was wondering, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk about brand ambassadors and influencers and digital talents and all yeah. of that being kind of a, a bridge between the client and the brand or as a as, as a peer to people to kind of give advice I mean what do you think about this whole new dynamic this whole new way of communicate brands communicating to uh, to their customers their potential customers um, to be honest I think it's a, it's a shame yeah seriously I think it's a shame and uh, uh, influences for me, but drug influences, people influence you to 
know, do strange bad things, things. Bad things. Yeah, I, I never knew influencers to be a good word. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I would prefer if we had, you know, uh, instead of influencers, why can't we have a word which is more like a hero or, uh, you know, uh, what's another word which I could think of a person who... What is it? Evangelist inspire, or, yeah, yeah inspire. inspire yeah. It's somebody to inspire you. And I think inspiring is much more interesting than influencing you. Mm-hmm. Because influencing for me is influence. You're under the influence of something. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. it means that you... Uh, along the way, I just feel that it's demeaning a person. Yeah. A person who's a follower. Yeah. You know, it means that you, you're, you're already a step below. Mm. So what the hell? Yeah. You know, yeah. I have. Uh, I've seen. Uh, I've talked to a lot of clients, and you know, uh, they come in and they. The first thing they want to know is what's your bestseller. Mm. So it's like you know. I, I, what do I tell them? I mean, yeah, this is a bestseller, but it doesn't doesn't make sense. Then you have to. It's like a part which is what I would say is an education where you try and explain to them as you as an individual person with your height, with your weight, with your. Um, skin color, the way you dress, this is what could be interesting for you. Mm-hmm. And this is how it used to be in the past, where you would have couture or you would have Pratapurti, which was for, you know, you had the uh, Dior person, you had the Chanel person, you had the Hermes person, so you had these looks, but now you don't have, you have the mixed look. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's no total looks anymore. No. Absolutely not. And but yeah, I mean, that's the thing, it's the perfect the perfect bag for you, not the, the it bag of the season or whatever. Season, I, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I go into stores and say, well, this is the hot new bag of the season. Yeah. And I and I went, actually, I like this bag because it's so detachable and it does this. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. does this for me. Yeah. I like the fact that it's got a shoulder strap. Yeah. It doesn't have... So I, this is where, I guess, uh, um, uh, evangelist or, uh, you know, uh, guru comes into play. And I think that's more beautiful than having an influencer. Mm-hmm. Um, it, then there's this whole part, which I was thinking, something, again, I was reading about you know, um, we are so, um, what do you call, how do you say, running around just a few markets that we seem to have forgotten the entire other part of the world. You know? And fashion was never meant to be off. Yeah, we've gone through these little parts, which is very Japan-centric. I remember, you know, um, buying a T-shirt once and finding that the sleeves were very short and discovering it was made for Japan. Mm-hmm. That is a different ball game as opposed to uh, what's happening now is this whole thing of you know WeChats and uh, uh, back this and back that and you know yeah um, where we seem to be totally we, we just seem to be running around you know uh, the sad part in this thing is that the companies are run by um, the customer mm-hmm. not the other way around fashion is never it was above the and we would above the, the fray and, yeah, and we and we would set the pace we would and set the pace we would tell people what to wear we would decide that this is a look for the season mm-hmm. and that's how you had a bit of you know originality mm-hmm. uh, when it's the other way around it's you've lost everything because you're so obsessed with what the crowdsourcing the yeah. yeah yeah that's an interesting so, yeah well I mean that's how Apple was so successful exactly, I mean Steve Jobs exactly, like you yeah. to give them what they don't know they want exactly. yet you have to be that way mm-hmm. and there's something which I ask everybody and I think Apple was not uh, known for its telephones it was all about the Mac yeah and Mac was something which uh, you know not everybody could afford yeah. but then they came up with something which everybody could buy which is the telephones and the iPods and that is how brand was created and here we are going exactly the opposite way mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. we want to know what the crowd wants mm-hmm. and um, you know it's, it's really it's beyond understanding as to you know um, a celebrity is uh, yeah I can understand the K-pop and the whole listen we had it as with the Mickey Mouse mm-hmm. club and everything but not to this extent yeah. and it never influenced everything mm-hmm. from the way you look to the way to the way you dress mm-hmm. and uh, Somewhere I think we are losing out this whole part, which is um, uh, Pratapurte. I mean, we always talked about Couture is dead. Mm-hmm. I think Pratapurte is dead too. Um, okay, so let me ask you now my five generic fashion questions that I ask everyone. So, what is um, your favorite piece of clothing that you own? Actually, in reality, I don't cherish anything. I mean, I do cherish a lot of everything, but I don't <laughs> really, I don't hanker after anything. Um, there are certain things which I have I'm, I'm a typical guy who buys three of everything mm-hmm. so there are yeah, three beanies three sweaters of the same actually I do have three of this <laughs> yeah. 
I'm the same. It, yeah. Let me reassure it, you. It makes life easier for me. And then sometimes the store give, they give you dirty looks, you know. Because you walk in and they think you're a reseller or you're buying it to copy or something. Because that's how people buy three pieces. Oh, right. Three pieces, yeah. yeah. In Japan, it happens quite often. Um, hmm. Can I have a second one of the same color? And they look at you, what's wrong with you? So, yeah. For me, um, it's like at the office, they're like... Um, I just thought you liked that one outfit. I'm like, no, I have three of them. It's not like I'm wearing the same T-shirt four days in a row. Yeah, happens, <laughs> I bought yeah. three. Yeah, I had somebody asking me. So it was like, I think that would be the journalist or something. I've seen you with this T-shirt. Well, yeah, you've seen the third one. <laughs> Please okay. believe me because I can bring it to show it to you. <laughs> All right, so you don't have any precious favorite. It's more you have your favorite things and you stick to them. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. Um, uh, You're a creature of habit, it sounds I'm like. A creature of habit, yeah, a creature of strange habits. <laughs> okay. Um, I think I know the answer to this one after our conversation, but who is your favorite designer, living or dead? Oops, uh, for sure, this is just, just one. Uh, including it's Marta Margiela. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, other areas, yeah, there, are, there are a lot of them. Margiela, I would say, yeah. Yeah. If there's one item, uh, accessory, clothing, whatever, what if, if a woman could only really invest in, save up for and invest in, what would you say that one thing is? If it's, if it's an accessory, maybe there's a particular bag, or I mean, when I talk about one thing that a person, a woman should really save up for, what would you think it should be? Can she save up to, for an attitude or a style? <laughs> Something which is, yeah. Which is save, up, save up for an attitude yeah. or a style. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, can that be bought? That's yeah, the question. Can you, can you buy attitude? I think yeah. Nowadays you can buy anything. So, <laughs> um, no, I think I think I would say I would stick to style and uh, attitude. Yeah, maybe that could be the best thing to wear because uh, the rest of it is just you know disposable. Great answer. Um, what fashion trend will you never follow? I never follow fashion trends. I lead it normally. It's been very this very No, I, 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 I'm not a follower. Um, and then my last question is, what do you love most about fashion and luxury? Uh, the uncertainty. Hmm. Yeah. What do you mean when you say uncertainty? Um, it's, it's, like, it's like life, no? You're, you're here today, you're nobody tomorrow. Uh, I feel sad when I see Monsieur... Um, what's his name? Claude Montana. Mm. Yeah. I, I passed by a couple of days back. We passed by, I said hello to him. I was with a few young friends and they didn't even know who he was. And mm -hmm. I was like ready to bow at his feet. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uncertainty. Yeah, that's happened to me too. Um, had those experiences. Ramesh, thank you so much. It has so been a delight getting to know you. Thank you so much. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Fashion Your Seatbelt is made possible thanks to the wonderful people at Launchmetrics, the software company that is powering the fashion industry, and GPS Radar, the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect in style. I am a member of GPS Radar, and I can tell you, as a journalist, it has made my work life run much more smoothly. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.